I'm going to speak about Acts 29. And if you know your Bible in here, you will realize that there is no Acts 29. Okay, that the book of Acts actually ends with Acts 28, right? So, but with this uh, series that Leonard has started with us, and I think he's done an amazing job in unpacking this was, we've been looking at what it looks like to be the continuation of the church. Because we realize as we read the book of Acts from Acts 1 to, verse, uh, to Acts 28 that we see a picture of a healthy church. We see a picture of actually of what we should be like. And I think as uh, Leonard said that this is both a prescriptive but also a descriptive way of what we need to look like as a church. So as we just behold different stories and look at different themes that this, uh, this, this book unpacks, it gives us a picture for you and I to say, man, we should also be like like that. We can be a continuation of that early church even today in 2022. And I'm excited actually to look at this, you know, topic of what it looks like to be a missional church. What does it look like to be a missional church? And before we do that, I'm just going to pray just for my own sake and for my own nervous uh, nervousness and then we'll, uh, we'll just uh, continue from there. So let us pray together. So, Father, we just want to thank you tonight for just your presence. God, we thank you that you are here right now with us. Lord, we don't want to take that lightly. The fact that you are here with us. That the creator of heaven and earth, the one who puts everything together is here with us right now. And, Father, I pray would you come and open our eyes tonight to see you. Would you come and open up our eyes to experience you? Would you open up our ears to hear your voice tonight, God? I pray, Father, whatever word that I'm going to preach tonight, Lord, I pray it will come straight from your heart and straight from your mouth. I pray, help me, Lord, that I will not speak anything that I shouldn't speak tonight, and I will not withhold anything that I should be speaking tonight. So we give you all the glory, we give you all the honor and all the praise in the name of Jesus. And everyone said... Amen, amen. So as we unpack this picture of what the church needs to look like, I think when we look at the early church, we see a picture, as I said, of what healthy church looks like. And there's a number of things that you can say about this early church. If you look at it, you will see that it's a, it's a church that was actually committed to prayer. It was devoted to prayer. You know, from Acts 1, when Jesus said, actually in Matthew 28, and gave the, the great commission. So from that moment on, this early church actually devoted itself to prayer. They would gather up in the upper room and they would just simply see God by prayer. You know, and I think another thing that you would say about this early church is it's a church that loved one another. They honestly loved one another. Their fellowship among them was epic. If I could use a Stellenbosch word or like a student, I don't know what word students use these days, but it was epic, 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 the fellowship among them. And I think the third thing that we would say, if we look at this church, we'd say it was a church that was obedient because Jesus said, go wait in the upper room and they waited. And we see as we unpack this whole book that actually there were people that were very devoted to, to, to this thing called obedience. So every word that Jesus spoke to them, they made sure that they carry, on, that they carry this thing on. And I think another thing that you would say about this church is, and it's something I think we actually miss at times, that it was a church that was deeply, deeply missional. 
It was a church that sought people out. It was a church that really wanted to advance the kingdom of God. So we look in Matthew 28 where Jesus' last words to his disciples is, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the, of the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything that I've commanded you to obey. This is Jesus' last words. And then as we look at how they're trying to, you know, just unpack this thing, we see in, in Acts 1, 8, Jesus says, I'm not going to just give you the great commission, but I'm going to empower you, you know, to, to carry out that great commission. That's why the Bible says that, you know, Jesus said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and to the ends of the world. And I believe that as much as God, you know, gave this great commission to them and empowered them by His Spirit, it's the same thing that God is doing among us today. That even today, God is saying, go ye therefore in Stellenbosch, on campus, into your workplaces, wherever you may find yourself, and preach the gospel of Jesus. And as you go out, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And the same thing, or the same way that He empowered them is the same way that He is empowering us with His Spirit to say that I have put my Spirit upon you. You actually have everything that you need to be able to preach the gospel, to be able to go out. Because, you know, God is a God who is, as I said, uh, they, they were deeply missional, but this thing actually comes from the heart of God. You see, you and I serve a God who is deeply, deeply committed to people. It's God's desire. The Bible says it's His desire that everyone will come to the knowledge of who Jesus is. Jesus wants each and every single person to come to a knowledge of who He is. And we see this in many ways that, you know, in the book of Genesis, it says that we, we couldn't do anything for ourselves after the fall. But it took God to send His one and only Son, Jesus Christ, so that you and I, as we give our lives over to Him, that we might not perish but have eternal life. So as God gave the one thing that he loved the most, the one thing that he loved dearly, his son, Jesus Christ, I think just in that we see how committed he is and just his heart to make sure that every single person will come to a knowledge of who he is. And in the same way that God has this heart, I really believe that God wants to deposit this heart in us. So I'm going to just say out of the bed uh, what I'm trying or what I'm going to hope for for this message. And this might be a, a blooper or it might be a, a spoiler moment. You know, it's like when someone tells you a movie before you've watched it. So when you watch it, you're like, ah, you know, like this guy already told me. Uh, so I, I want to give you a little bit of that. So if, if there's anything that you forget of what I'm going to say tonight, you know, I hope you forget these things. I'm going to be very brief in them. Uh, uh, you, you remember these things, sorry. Don't forget them, okay? So first of all, my, my hope is really that, that we will be caught to the heart. This is my hope. I really pray that after listening to this message and Henry's message, that this won't be just a message, but there will be something in our heart that's cut and that we will ask, Jesus, what is it that you're requiring of me to do after hearing this word? That we won't just listen to this message and just go out again and just carry on with our everyday lives. But we'll say, what is it that God wants us to do? And the second thing is that we will realize that there is a broken world out there. And it's a father's heart to reconcile each and every single person. And that will reflect in your class, in your workplace, wherever you may find yourself, that there are people who are broken. 
I mean, it doesn't take a lot to just walk on campus or to walk in Merriman Street to see that there is a, a dying world out there, that people are dying without the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And it should be our heart's desire to say, God, would you use me to be able to reach out to those people? And then lastly, that we will rearrange our lives in such a way that we ask God, what do you want to do through my job? What do you want to do through my studies? What do you want to do through my everyday life as I meet people in shopping centers, wherever that I may find myself? That this will be our question, God, what is it? How should I rearrange my schedule? How should I rearrange my finances? How should I rearrange my whole life's perspective? Because you see, some of us are in here and we think that we've come to Stellenbosch to be students. But may I submit to you that that, that is actually a primary issue. You being a student, you being a worker, you being an accountant or a lawyer or whatever job that you do, that's actually a secondary thing. That the primary thing for you and I is to bring the kingdom of God here on the earth. And that God wants to use your job, that He wants to use your studies, that He wants to use your, your adventures, that He wants to use whatever group that you're a part of to be able to bring His kingdom about. And I really pray that we'll adopt this perspective to say, I am not just going to live as a, as a CA, or I'm not just going to live as an actuary, I'm not just going to live as a lawyer or just as a student, but my whole life's perspective is going to be, God, would you bring your kingdom through whatever I'm doing? This is why you and I are here on the earth. That God has given us a ministry of reconciliation that each and every single one of us are here. We called to reconcile people to God just like you and I have been reconciled to Him. And I pray that we'll really find, find Jesus' heart in this. So I'm going to preach a bit in a weird way tonight. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read almost like stories that are sequential and I'm going to use the, the book of Matthew 9. And what I, what I want to do with this, I really want us to immerse ourselves in the Word of God and that we listen attentively, in a sense, live ourselves in it and try to catch the heart that God wants us to catch in these verses. So the first verse that I want to read is in Matthew 9, verse 1 to 2. And maybe before I, I read that, let me just maybe share a little bit of my own personal story. So when I got saved... Um, or before I got saved, I was, a, I was a very broken man. There is a number of things that I struggled with in my life. Um, and I was at a place of hopelessness where I thought there is no way that I'm going to change. There is no way that my life is going to change. And then what happened is, uh, I think if you want to maybe listen to a little bit of my testimony, uh, a few weeks ago I preached, I can't, I can't even remember, but a few weeks ago I preached and I, I shared a little bit of my full life story in there. But as I got saved, I remember getting saved, and when I got saved, I knew that my life had changed. You know, because when I was born, I grew up in a family where we practice ancestral worship. And some of you might not know what that means, you know, because it's not maybe a part of your culture. But it's basically we worship ancestors. And I, I always said that there's nothing wrong to honor people. But if you start worshiping people, then there's a problem because there's only one that wants worship and that deserves and that is worthy of worship. And his name is Jesus. Okay, so I grew up in a household where different sangomas, if you know what that means, would come to our house and they would perform certain rituals and they would do certain things. And some of you guys are like, amen, because you know, you know what I'm talking about, right? 
So, so, so I, I grew up uh, in, in this house where a sangoma would come. They would perform certain rituals because we, we believed, you know, that we were uh, under bad luck or maybe when something in the family doesn't go right, we would do certain things. We would slaughter a goat because I'm a Kosa, so we slaughter goats. And, uh, and we, would, we would worship, you know, through these things, through the ancestors. And basically we would say, you ancestors, would you please speak to God on our behalf because things are not going so well. So I grew up in a household that uh, we had a concept of who God was. We had this, this thing called Jesus Plus, which actually, there is no Jesus Plus, right? It's just Jesus. That, that, that's what it is. Okay, but a lot of people would say, it's Jesus Plus my culture. But it's actually, it, it doesn't exist. It's only Jesus. Because in the book of Galatians, we see where, where Paul says to the, to the Galatian church, who has bewitched you now that you've started so well, are you now trying to preach another gospel, which is actually not the gospel at all. So it's only the gospel of Jesus Christ or no gospel. So I grew up in this household, meaning that I was far away from God. I was literally in the kingdom of darkness. My own mother would have dreams of different things while she's asleep. Uh, demonic dreams where they would want to come and fetch her because uh, uh, she had a calling, what they, call, what, they, what they call a calling in our culture to be a sangoma. You know, so my mother would war in prayer. I remember, you know, we would wake up in the middle of the night and my mother would be crying to God because she would be wrestling these things. That was the reality of my life. So when I got saved, I knew that I was saved. Because I knew that I was in darkness and God transformed me from the kingdom of darkness literally into his marvelous light. And it was in such a way that I remember the first day that I got back from home after I got saved. My mother looked at me and she asked me, what happened to you? Literally, she asked me, what happened to you? And I asked her, what, what do you mean? And she's like, something is different. You're, you're not the same. Something has shifted. What is this that has shifted? And then I told my mother, this is what happened. I gave my heart to the Lord Jesus Christ. But then fast forward my story. I was so passionate about Jesus when I, when I got saved that my friends and I, obviously as a 16-year-old, 16-year-old, you, you don't know anything about the eloquence or the gospel, you know, like where it starts or the story of Jesus. I mean, you, you're just so passionate about that, that whatever word comes, all you know is my life has changed and you go tell everyone my life has changed. You know, Jesus has changed my life. So it didn't come out beautifully or anything like that. You know, like, you know, we were meant to be in a relationship with God in Genesis and then you, you know, explain it nicely. It wasn't that at all. And I remember what we used to do, my friends and I, we were, we were 16, 17, and 18-year-olds. And what we would do, we were so passionate that we would walk street by street in our community with our Bibles in the hand, and we would preach up a storm. Street by street, we would be walking because we were so convicted or so, we, we knew that our lives had changed, that every single person needs to hear about this Jesus that has transformed our lives. Because we knew that we were once gripped in darkness, but God has transformed us into His marvelous light. And because we knew people who likewise were in darkness, we wanted them to have the life, you know, that Jesus wanted us to, ha wanted us to have as well. We wanted them to have a taste of what it is to be in a relationship with God. I remember once I was, uh, I was preaching 
and I, 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 we were about to walk in my street uh, while we were preaching. And in my heart, my pastor was busy preaching, so we would do relays. He would preach, I would preach, someone else would preach, and so forth. And then as we stepped into our street, in my heart, I was like, please, Lord, please, Lord, not in my street. I'm not going to preach in my street. And then uh, literally, as you step into my street, he looked at me and he said, Godfrey, it's now your turn. And I was terrified to speak about Jesus in front of people that knew me. So as I, as I walked, uh, I think my mother heard my voice. So she came out to listen or to look at who is this, what's busy happening. And as she looked at me, she, she literally ran back into the house. Um, and I was like, oh man, something, something is wrong here. I don't know what happened. But then we continued preaching. And then afterwards, after church, I asked her, what, what happened? And then she said, my child, I couldn't believe when I heard you and when I saw you. Because I knew who you once were. And just to receive the reality of Jesus that has transformed my life, I couldn't bear what I was seeing. I couldn't bear what I was hearing. I, I could just come before God and just kneel before God and say glory to God that He has transformed my son's life. And the second thing we would do is we, would, uh, we went to our pastor and said, we want to preach the gospel. It's a bit tiring to walk up and down the street. So can we take the sound of the church? So like, like these sons, can you take the speakers, the mics and everything? We'll pitch them at 6 o'clock every Sunday morning at one of our friend's houses. And then at 8, we will pack down again and we'll, we'll bring them back to church. So that's literally what we did. We would literally take our mics as 16-year-old, and we would preach in the morning at 6 o'clock. So you can remember, there were people that weren't, we weren't, very, we weren't favorites, eh? Because at 6 o'clock in the morning to hear a voice of this, you know, squeaky, you know, just boy, you know, who doesn't even know what he's talking about, to hear that, you know, wasn't, it wasn't, a, a, we weren't popular. But I remember the different stories that came out of that. Once, uh, while we were busy packing up, about 8 o'clock, a lady came to us and said, guys, you don't understand. I live about two kilometers away from here, and this morning I woke up, and I was contemplating to take my whole li my life. Because life is so difficult and life is so hard, you know, that I was actually contemplating to kill myself. But then out of a far away, I heard this voice saying that life is worth it because Jesus is alive. And that's literally the thing that convinced her. And that morning, she gave her heart to Jesus Christ. So imagine a 16-year-old to have a testimony like that. It was worth it, every single thing. But just like God called us back then, just like we were passionate back then, God is still calling of us. Even now as an elder, God is still calling me every single day of my life to be able to, to share stories, to be able to share, you know, with, with the people with Jesus. And out of that, to build new stories, to say, God, would you build new stories in me? Would you come and do something new again? Would I see people getting saved? You know, whether it's daily, whether it's a, every second day, whatever it is, but you give, would you give me the boldness not to just, you know, train other people and to equip the saints, but to myself primarily to be able to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. So as we just go into Matthew 9, verse 1 to 2, so I'm just going to read these things. And, uh, and, and as I read this, I want you to, understand that these are sequential events. So it's things that happen one after another. So we see Jesus is in a specific place here called Galilee. That was his hometown. And these stories that we're going to read right now is stories that happened uh, while he was in Galilee. And I so pray tonight that we will catch the heart of what it is that he's trying to convey here for us. So the first one, it says, Jesus stepped into a boat 
crossed over and came to his own town, some men brought to him a paralyzed man lying on a mat. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to them, Take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. And this man was healed. The second one in Matthew 9, verse 9 to 13. It says, as Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. And then he says this, but go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but to call sinners. So that's the second story of what happens here. Many sinners get saved. Tax collectors get saved in this, in this, in this part. And then the next part in Matthew 9, 25, it says, After the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took the girl by the hand, and she got up. News of this spread through all that region. So this is the story where, you know, the guy comes before Jesus and said, basically, my daughter is dead. And Jesus goes, and this is what he does. You know, he heals this daughter, and she got raised up sequentially after those other events. And then in Matthew 9, 27 to 33, it reads as follows. As Jesus went on from there, two blind men followed him, calling out, Have mercy on us, son of David. When he had gone indoors, the blind man came to him and he asked him, Do you believe that I'm able to do this? Yes, Lord, they replied. Then he touched their eyes and said, According to your faith, let it be done to you. And their sight was restored. Jesus warned them sternly, see that no one knows about this, but they went out and spread the news about him all over that region. While they were going out, a man who was demon-possessed, so imagine this, he just healed two blind guys. They go out and tell everyone what happened, and then immediately after this, it says, but they went out and spread the news about him all over that region. While they were going out, a man who was demon-possessed and could not talk was brought to Jesus. And when the demon was driven out, the man who had been mute spoke. The crowd was amazed and said, nothing like this has ever been seen in Israel. So imagine and put yourself in these shoes for a moment. That you are sitting, spending time in one place, let's say somewhere in Stellenbosch. And then in all of that, a paralyzed man is brought to you and that man is healed. A woman or a girl that, that, that struggled or that was dead basically comes after that and she gets, you know, she gets raised up. And then immediately after that, two blind men are brought to you and, and they are healed. And while they are walking out, another guy is brought to you who was demon-possessed. And then that guy, I mean, imagine Jesus' heart. Just for one moment, imagine just the, 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 the depth of the love that Jesus had for the people that was around him. And it's a beautiful scripture. I'm going to end with this in this part. In Matthew 35 verse 38, after all these events happened, it says, Jesus went through all the towns and the villages 
teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. I mean, imagine Jesus being the Son of God and Jesus being likened to God himself. He goes, after seeing all of these things and after having the ability to heal every disease and every sickness, he still comes back and he says, he looked at the crowd and there was compassion in his heart. He could see that these people were abused and they were harassed. And then out of that, he said, pray that the Lord of the harvest will send laborers. I mean, Jesus could, he, he could do it all by himself, but he still said, pray that the Lord of the harvest will send laborers. So you and I are those laborers that Jesus was saying, pray that God would send these people to harvest. Because the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. But as I was just looking at these scriptures, I lacked one thing. I, I saw that I lacked one thing in my life. It says that Jesus looked at them and he had compassion on them. And I want to ask you tonight, do you have compassion for the lost? Do you have compassion on the people that you're surrounded with who are broken? People who are blind spiritually? People who are dead spiritually? People who are paralyzed spiritually? The students among you? The people that are working, your family, your relatives, the people that are closest to you, people that you meet in the street, do you have compassion on those people? And shouldn't we come before God tonight and say, God, would you come and give us the same heart that Jesus had? Would you come and stir a compassion in our hearts to also be able to look at people and to see that they are sheep that are harassed, that they are helpless? And that you are calling us actually to be the laborers that are called to be harvesters in that field. So the second thing that I love about this is Jesus could have said, you know, let's, let's just go out. Let's just go evangelize all of these people. Let's just go share the gospel with these people. You know, but he said, pray. And I think as we are trying to share the gospel with people and as we are missional, this is one critical part that we actually miss sometimes. And it's one of prayer. And someone once said that don't talk to God about the people without talking to God about the people. Don't talk to the people about God before you talk about God, before you talk with God about the people. I'm sorry for the mixing up of my words. But basically what this means is we should be a people that are really prayerful. It, it's impossible for you and I to share the gospel with anyone for their lives to be transformed. It's actually an impossible thing. And we need every bit of prayer that we can get to be able to do this. It's impossible for us to do it. Can, can I just be frank and be clear with us tonight? You know, to say that actually if we look at our own hearts tonight, that there's, there's a part of our hearts actually that doesn't want to share the gospel with people. There's actually a part of our hearts that doesn't want to share the gospel with people. In our sinful and broken nature, there's a part of us that doesn't want to come out of our comfort zones because we, we are afraid that people will reject us. 
So that's why we need to pray that God would come and stir up this compassion in us. That He would awaken our hearts for the lost and for the broken of this world. Stellenbosch is full of broken people and God is calling us to be a people that pray that God would activate us. That He would fill us with His Holy Spirit to be able to be witnesses in this town. That's how our lives should be set up. So first, pray. So then in, I'll end off with this, but in Matthew 10, then we see where Jesus didn't just pray, but he actually says, I need to do something about this situation that's busy happening there because there's too many broken people. So we can't just stick with prayer. That prayer needs to go out into action. So then in uh, Matthew 10, I'm just going to read a couple of verses, and I hope that we learn something from these verses tonight. So in Matthew 10, it says, So it says, Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. And then these 12, Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. As you go, proclaim this message, the kingdom of heaven has come near. And then he says, heal the sick. Raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons freely. You have received freely, give. We have received freely from God. And we need to be a people that are generous with the gospel. We need to be people that are generous with the love that God has shown us, the mercy that God has shown us, the grace that God has, has shown us, that we once were a people that were far away from God, that were far removed from God. We were blind, but God brought us near. We who were strangers, God brought us near in His intimacy. Wouldn't you want you know, other people to experience what you've experienced? Wouldn't you want other people to experience the life that you're experiencing right now in God? Freely you have, you, have, you have received and freely God is calling each and every single one of us to give as well. And then I'll, as it goes forward, it says, Do not get any gold or silver or copper to take with you in your belts. No bag for the journey or extra shirt or sandals or a staff for the worker is worth his keep. So Jesus is saying, don't take anything as you go out. Whatever town or village you enter, search there for some worthy person. Other translation says, a person of peace or a house of peace. And stay at their house until you leave. As you enter the home, give it your greeting. If the home is deserving, let your peace rest upon, us, uh, rest upon it. If it is not, let your peace return to you. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, leave that home or town and shake the dust of your feet. Truly, I tell you, it will be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for their town. And then this is what Jesus is saying. I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Be on your guard. You'll be handed over to the local councils and be flogged in the synagogues. On my account, you'll be brought before governors and kings as witnesses and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say. 
For it will not be you speaking, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. You see, we are very uncomfortable with preaching the gospel to people. Because sometimes we feel like people reject us or they reject the message. And because of this, this causes a fear of man in us. And we don't want to come out of our comfort zones, you know, to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. But here, Jesus said, I, I've already made words available. He's already made words available for us to be able to speak to people. And he says, he gives us a warning and said, this thing is not going to be easy. But don't worry that even as you get in situations that are uncomfortable, I am with you. He said in Matthew 28 to these disciples, and, be, and, and, and behold, I'll be with you until the end of the age. So we're not doing this thing of preaching the gospel to people. We're not doing it alone. God has given us His Spirit. He has given us His Son. He has given us words to be able to preach these things. So we don't need to be afraid tonight to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with people. And I'll end off with this. So we need to ask God tonight to break our hearts. We need, to, we need to trust for that, that God, would you come and break my heart and would you stir up a compassion in me for the people that are lost? That there are many people that are dying outside. There are many people that are dying in my culture who are also locked up in ancestral worship. There are many people dying without having the knowledge of Jesus Christ and it's His desire that those people will come out and will come to a knowledge of Jesus. Second last thing, this is not a one man's job, but every single one of us is needed. Every one of us is needed to do this. If Jesus prayed that laborers would be sent, how much more should we today also be praying and asking, God, would you make us laborers? Would you use me in my sphere of influence to carry out the gospel. And lastly, God is faithful in that He has prepared our hearts, you know, to reach out. And we need to go and reach hearts. He has prepared hearts for us. There are people that have been prepared. Those people of peace. Those households of peace. There are people that are ripe and ready to receive the gospel of Jesus Christ. And for us, it's just to proclaim that gospel. It's just to, to be activated in reaching out to those people. So I want to ask you one more time. Do you have compassion in your heart? Do you have a desire to be used by God to reach those you may encounter wherever you find yourself? So I'm just going to ask all of us maybe to just uh, close uh, our eyes and I'm just going to uh, just pray for us for this and I'm going to give over to, to Leonard. So, Father, we just want to come before you tonight. and Lord, we thank you for your word tonight that convicts. We thank you for your word, Lord, that just speaks into our hearts. Lord, and I pray that as your word says in James, that you haven't called us to just be hearers of the word, but you've called us to actually be people that, that actions the word, people that are doers of the word. I pray tonight in the name of Jesus. God, would you just come and set us up once again, Father, for this great task that you've put before us, God. Lord, I pray would you renew, Father, just the passion, 
Lord, to reach, to, to, to reach people and to preach the gospel to people, that we will uh, proclaim the same words that are written in Romans 1 verse 6 and to say that I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ because it's a power unto salvation for those who believe. So I pray, Father, tonight would you come and would just activate our hearts, would you come and activate compassion and would you help us to reach people that are lost. Come and break our hearts once again for those who do not know you. In the name of Jesus, amen.